that right, Karen? <laughs> yeah. Let me say this before we get into the Word today. Uh, tonight, if you would, hope you can come back. Brother Kyle Peterson's going to be speaking. Uh, the Lord's got his hand upon him and got thanks for him. And so uh, this, I invited him to come speak tonight. Uh, Brother Chester was scheduled, but Chester's recuperating some things. So uh, come, come tonight and hear Brother Kyle uh, as God speaks to us through him. Let me say this about Sister Linda before we get into the Word. I've always heard two things. One is, everybody talking about heaven's not going there. The second one is, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Is that about the truth? Of course, the, the Bible says in Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And that's precious to, to the Lord. I, I always pray for somebody when they're in the hospital. I always pray for their healing. Until uh, I feel released or it looks like God's got a different path. Or the person like, for example, Linda is asking me agree with her. She's ready to see her Jesus. And so that's really, that's how Christians are supposed to die. We look forward to uh, seeing Jesus. And uh, it's what we've, our faith's going to be turned into sight one day. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. Uh, we've been walking by faith, and one day we're going to see him as he is. So let's keep, uh, keep Brother Jimbo in prayer. He's the one that's going to have the difficult. She's fixing to uh, see all the goodness of what God's got prepared that we can't even comprehend. But Brother Jimbo, uh, he's going to feel lost for a long time. And, uh, and some of you men out there that's lost your wife in the last few years, I, you know I can't identify with you but I, I feel for you and I know you understand what he's going through all right so let's lift them up all right we're going to get back in our series called how God changes his children aren't you glad he changes us uh, we need changing I entitled this one putting on and taking off and it's in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 29 I'd like for you to read with me this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and haven't been taught have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. There we go. Put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, therefore putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more, no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. 
Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. This, earlier this year, I was looking for a place for me and my wife to go on our anniversary. And uh, while I'm, before I get into that, thank you so much for the pastor appreciation. Uh, kindness, love, offering, and all that. I speak for my wife, Darlene, for Keith and Sandy, and Eric and Ginger. We thank you and we love you, and we're glad to be here to serve with you. Uh, now, back to the original topic. Uh, I was looking for a place to go for our anniversary. You got to be careful. We ended up going to Savannah, stayed at a bed and breakfast. I went there because they got a lot of good restaurants in Savannah. But anyway, uh, we stayed at a bed and breakfast and found one we wanted. But they add on a lot of things that you don't anticipate. And after I saw what the price was, it was okay, but it was up there a little bit. And then I looked on them, and they had a 13% hotel tax. And then a $5 city tax every night. And then $35 a day for valet parking. It kind of... Almost messed up my anniversary for a moment there. But it was just amazing how they add on things. You get your phone bill. The phone bill's not all that bad till you see all the different taxes and the different things on there. It takes three or four pages to put it all on there. They keep adding on. You go to a nice restaurant. If you've got a big party, they're going to add on a gratuity. They're not going to trust you to work that waitress to death and then not tip her or him. So they're going to add that on. I used to every year, I hadn't done it in the last several years, but I used to every year go at the, in January to pick out a suit at Men's Warehouse over there in Gainesville. And uh, here's the way it always worked. You go in there and you look at their suits. they got a lot of nice suits. And it'll say regular $650 for $250. I said, man, you're feeling good. I'm getting a good deal there. You go in there and try it on. You come out and then they're going to try to make sure it fits you the way it's supposed to. Mine's been shrinking over the years. I don't know what's the matter with it. But uh, they'll fit you. They're going to fit your waist. They're going to check the coat. They're going to see you want your sleeve. You want the sleeves to stick out from your uh, suit or you want them like that or whatever. They're going to, you want cuffs. You want, you, they're all, the legs are that much too long. They got all that material. So they're going to cuff it. They're going to do this. Do you want a band around the waist so your shirt doesn't put right out? They got, time you get everything, it's back up to $400. And then when you come out, They've got uh, shirts and ties and handkerchiefs and all kinds of things laid out, four, five, six different ones to show you how good that's going to look with the suit. You buy everything, then you've paid $750 for that $250 suit. They just keep adding on. It's, it's a nice little thing, but you've got to read the fine print in life because there's a lot of things that get added on. Now, there's a lot of things in our life that get taken off. Any of you ever heard this? Your mom or your daddy said this to you? Go in there and take off your good clothes and put on your old clothes to go outside and play. Or do people go outside and play anymore? I don't know if they do that. But uh, they, we used to do that. Or you'd say this to your boss. Boss, man, I need to take off Friday if I can. Or when I go to an airport, I love to watch them big, as Jim flies, them big 777 or 747 or whatever. I love to watch them big things take off. It's just amazing how much power has got to be on that thing. I've told telemarketers, I don't tell them enough, but I've told them, I said, take my name and number off your list. 
I'm tired of you calling. And then they call three times in the next hour. Uh, I don't know about you. In my children's homes, a lot of times, when I go to visit them, they want me to take off my shoes before I come into their house. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like me. Uh, sometimes my wife will make a casserole or something like that, and I'll dip in there, and I said, this doesn't take... Well, you dipped out of the wrong end. I said, well, what's the right end of the thing to dip out of? She said, well, that end, I left out the onions and the mushrooms because the kids don't like that. And I thought, man, let them learn how to eat something. <laughs> I hate it when I get into a, a thing of brownies, and I get a brownie, and it doesn't have any nuts in it. Now, there may be some of you don't like nuts, but if you do, come see me after church because i got a num number of psychiatrists you need to talk to because something's wrong. Uh, but anyway, life is all about adding on and taking off. The Scripture says in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. You've got to be careful what you add to and what you take off. Any of you ever given a nice gift to somebody and it looks like it's a $50 or $60 gift and they're going to be really proud of how much you spent on them but you didn't take off the sticker? And it was really a clearance sale. I'd only call $7.99. And they see what you really thought of them or whatever. Uh, you got to be careful. Last week or last time I preached, we talked about to grow in the Lord, we need to learn what we need to remember and what we need to forget. Today, what you need to put on and what you need to take off. Let's look at this today. The importance of growth. We're going to look at the book of Ephesians. Paul visited Ephesus on his second missionary journey. And he did a great work there. And he left behind to kind of oversee that church a husband and a wife team named Aquila and Priscilla. And they were there. Paul came back a, a little while later and became the pastor of this church for about three years. And when Paul was later on in prison, he wrote to the Ephesians, wrote to those in Philippi, the book of Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. Those are called the prison epistles. So that's where we're at today. We're in the book of Ephesians. It's a prison epistle. Now, the riches of the book of Ephesians. Now, this book teaches us about the spiritual riches we have in Jesus Christ. That's what this whole book's about, pretty much. What God's provided for us through Christ. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. What's at our disposal? There's two types of people in the world when it comes to money. There's some people that don't have a whole lot of money, but they live like they do. They've got the best of everything because they're in debt, and they're going to get what they want now, and they'll worry about paying for it the rest of their life. And there's other people that have lots of money and live like they don't. They live like they don't have two nickels to rub together, but they've got blue coodles of it, kind of like a lady named Hetty Green. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She was considered America's greatest miser. She died in 1916, but had an estate when she died of over $100 million in 1916. 
That today would be around $4 billion. She ate cold oatmeal because it would cost too much to heat it up. Her son had his leg amputated because she drove around for two days trying to find a free clinic. That's sick, isn't it? That's a sick human being. Let me tell you something. We've got a lot provided for us, and we live like paupers too. We live like people that don't have two nickels to rub together. We don't have a whole lot. We are rich in Jesus Christ. Now, I ain't talking about money always. I'm talking about spiritual richness. We are rich in Him. We've been given a lot. Uh, we've got the Spirit of God. He said, if the Spirit raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell in you. He'll quicken your mortal body. We have God's Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, not only with us, but in us. We've got the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, to fight our battles, to guide and direct our paths. God's given that to us. We've got angels. We don't see them. They're probably all in this building right here and all through our life. Ministering spirits sent to the heirs of salvation. We've got the church. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ to help encourage and strengthen us. And we've got so much we've got that God's given to us. And that's what the book of Ephesians is about. It's showing you what our spiritual riches are in Jesus Christ. Now, the book of Galatians, that's a book that tells us about freedom in Christ. And we've been set free from the law. Uh, Ephesians, though, tells us about what God's provided for us in Jesus Christ. I don't know what kind of family you were raised in. Maybe it was a broken family. Maybe it's a dysfunctional family. Maybe it was an abusive family. Maybe it was a divided family, a poor family. I don't know. But when you come into the family of God, you're in a rich family now. You're in a powerful family. You're in a loving family. You're in a caring family. That's the, that's the family of God. All right, the growth available in the book of Ephesians. We enter into this new life with Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, by grace through faith. That's how you get saved. That's how you're born again. That's how your life's turned around. But once you become born again, God does a work on the inside. That's called, theologically, that's called regeneration. He washes us on the inside. And you're regenerated, made new. Uh, but we have to grow. He's done something on the inside, but we've got to learn how to apply it on the outside. And some, that means sometimes you've got to put on some things and take off some things. Here's what the Bible says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. All right, so if we're going to walk as Christians, if we're going to grow up, if we're going to be changed, we're going to have to be constantly putting on things and taking off things. And that's what the Bible says. Just like at your house, whenever you get through eating a meal, you either put the, the scraps either in a uh, food compactor, whatever you call the thing, or you scrape it in the garbage. But if you put it in the garbage, you only leave it in there three, two or three days or better or it starts stinking the house up. So you have to take it out of the kitchen and go put it outside in the barrel. And you're not going to leave it out there forever. Hopefully somebody's going to come pick it up and haul it away from you. 
Well, that's kind of what we're talking about here. You've got to address things in your life, put it off, put it out, until God does something with it and does something with you. Now, putting on and taking off is an ongoing principle. I'm going to give you some scriptures here just to show you this is not just the only time it's mentioned that putting on and off is mentioned in Ephesians. It's mentioned in other places also. So let's look at some of these scriptures. Look at Romans 13, 12 and 14, 12 through 14. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Let's look at the next one. Hebrews 12:1. Therefore... We also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside or put off every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Next one, James 1.21, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness, put on, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Next one, 1 Peter 2, 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. So over and over again, we're told all through the New Testament, you've got to put on things, you've got to lay off some things or put aside some things. Uh, we're putting on our, we're taking off our old grave clothes, which were filthy rags, and we're putting on our new grace clothes, which is righteousness, that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. I did a little research this week about the history of hygiene, uh, the history of cleaning, bathing, washing. How did people do it all through, all through the years? Uh, today, personal hygiene, you know, everything from soap and bathing and, and smelling good and deodorant and brushing your teeth and all that kind of stuff, that's a big thing to us. It hasn't always been like that. Here's what I found out. The first recorded evidence of soap was 800 to 500 B.C. Water, alkali, and cassia oil. In med medieval times, they had some public bathing facilities. In Victorian times, doctors advised against bathing very much. They believed it had a negative effect on health and opened your pores up, and that's how you got disease. When you clean yourself, you open up your pores. And body odor was considered a natural part of life. Yeah, that's, uh, not today. Not today. Uh, listen to this. The personal hygiene industry today is a $570 billion a year industry. Cosmetic industry. $320 billion a year industry. Toothpaste industry, that's a $32 billion a year in industry. And it's so complicated now they got toothpaste for plaque, toothpaste for cavity, toothpaste to whiten your teeth, toothpaste for sensitive teeth, and on and on and on and on. We're very conscious about how we look and how we smell and all this kind of stuff. In the early 1900s, early, late 1800s, the typical family washed once a week on Saturday night. In one tub of water. The father got the bath first, then the mother, and then the children. Just pray that you wasn't in a big family and used the youngest of the children. 
That's where we got the, that's where we got the phrase, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The water was so nasty by the time that last one got to it. Toothbrush wasn't invented until 1857. Can you imagine what their teeth looked like back then? Uh, so, cleaning your body and all is a big thing today. It's a big thing. We, we're very conscious of it. Now, think about this right here. Let's see if I can illustrate this. This was a hot summer. Everybody agree it was a hot summer here in Florida. I don't know about everybody else. Temperature was up around 95 or better many, many days, and the heat index was 105, 110. That's the humidity and everything added to it. Just suppose you worked all day in this heat during the summer. You worked all day. Say you was landscaping. You're working, you're dirty, you're sweaty, your clothes are filthy, and they're sweaty, and, and uh, you come home because you're going to church on Wednesday night. Y'all do go to church on Wednesday night, don't you? Uh, <laughs> And you've been out there all day, and you're going to church, and you don't, you take off those old nasty clothes, but you don't take a bath, but you put on some new clothes. You'll be noticed at church. <laughs> or the other way, you worked all day in that sweat and grime and everything, and you come home. And you get squeaky clean. You clean yourself and bathe and, and everything. You got everything clean, but you put them old clothes back on and go to church. You'll be noticed there. There's two cleansings that we're talking about. The Lord cleanses us when he saves us. He cleanses our heart, our life, the inside, so to speak. Now he's telling us to take off a lot of them rags and nasty things we've been doing in our old life. And put on some new garments. And that's what, that's what Paul's trying to say to the uh, Ephesians here. God's cleaned you on the inside, but you keep putting on them old nasty things that smell so bad. And it's not doing you any good. Okay, so let's look at this a little bit. The necessity of growth. Here's what we're commanded to put off. We're going to look at what our old life was like. He said this, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. I'm going to say something that should be pretty simple and straightforward, but if you're a child of God, you should not be walking like the world walks. Amen. Your lifestyle should be different. Your lifestyle, your character, uh, the way you think, the way you live, your attitude, your integrity, all these things should be different because you know Jesus Christ. That should be obvious to all of us. Uh, we're not hypocritical and we're not better than anybody else or anything like that. But if you've been born again, you should be walking differently, not like you used to walk in the old life. Kind of like Queen Alexandra. Uh, she was the queen of, of Great Britain years ago. And her husband was uh, named... King Edward VII. Anyway, she liked to get out into public and liked to get involved, but she was the queen, so she couldn't do that. But whenever they would have a masquerade ball, you know, where you're dressed up, where nobody knows who you are, she would, would go to it. And that would give her an opportunity to go and dance and whatever she would like to do, and nobody would recognize her. The only problem, she had a funny walk. And everybody could recognize her. And I'm telling you this, people need to be able to recognize you by the way you walk. 
by your walk for Jesus Christ. It's going to be evident. It's going to show up. Now, why do we walk differently? Because we think differently. There's one thing. In verse 17 there, our mind, our old mind's been changed. It's being renewed. Uh, we've got a new purpose in our life, and, and we think differently. Therefore, we act differently. Our mind's being renewed, so it's changing the way we walk. Uh, I heard one time an old guy that got a job as a, uh, a tour guide driving one of these buses in one of them towns, and he's supposed to go around, speak in the microphone, say this building right here is this and that, and tell them about the history of the town and all this. Well, this is his first day on the job, and he wasn't real sharp, and it's about a two-hour tour. And so they went through the 30 minutes, and he never said anything. He just pointed things and stuff like that. And after about an hour and a half, he finally come on the microphone, and he says, y'all, this is my first day on the job, and I don't know a whole lot about the history here, but we are making good time. And so a lot of times, that's the way a lot of people think life. We're just passing through life. No, we've got a purpose. We've got a plan. We're part of God's plan. Here's what he says. This is why we need to be changed. The sinner's mind is darkened. Look at verse 18. Having their understanding darkened. When he talks about our understanding darkened, he's not talking about the old life we were dumb necessarily. There's a lot of people that are sinners that are very intelligent. They got a high IQ. But they're foolish when it comes to the things of God because they, they've rejected so much light, they're walking around in darkness. But they're very intelligent. Like this, for example, can you believe, how many would believe this could happen? We got a building here that's a printing press. And it just blew up to smithereens, and all of a sudden, out came a bunch of beautiful books. That doesn't even make sense. But there's a lot of intelligent people believe this. We had a big bang years ago, millions of years, and look what showed up. Uh, there's so many ways that people are very intelligent. They've, they've rejected God so much, and they want to reject God so much that they'll believe anything, and their mind is darkened. Here's the second thing. A darkened mind becomes a hardened mind. Look at the last part of verse 18. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the blindness of their heart. So their darkened mind becomes a very hardened mind also. Uh, one of the deceptive things about sin is that at first you're very sensitive to what you do that's displeasing God, and the more you do it, the less sensitive you become to it. You don't even think about it anymore. Somebody said it like this, talking about alcoholism or uh, a drunkard. He said, a man takes a drink, and then the drink takes a drink, and then the drink takes a man. And that's the way sin does. It just begins to take you after a while. The first time you don't think anything of it, but after a while uh, you don't even think God's paying attention. After a while it's got you. That's, that's part of the the hardening of sin. And the final thing he says, a hardened mind is past feelings. Verse 19. Who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. You know what's so sick about the world today? Not only the things that's going on in the world in sin, but people don't even feel bad about it. They don't even feel anything's wrong anymore. They, they've, they're even, they're, they've gotten beyond feelings now. They don't even 
think any, they're not ashamed, they're not embarrassed, they're not guilty, remorse, they have no sorrow or anything. That's the darkening power of sin. It hardens a person's heart and their mind. So he says, when you get born again, you've got to make sure you don't carry that with you. You've been saved, but you've got to put on things. You've got to put on Christ and all, and you're going to have to take off some of them things that's lingering, hanging on to you from the old life. So let's look at the positive side of growth, what you've got to put on, verses 20 through 23. Okay, here's what it says. But you have not so learned Christ. He's been talking to you. He said, at one time you were darkened and you were hardened by sin and walking in blindness and all that. He says, but, in verse 20, you have not so learned Christ. We've learned a different way through Jesus Christ our Lord. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Not only we learned about Christ, we know him and he teaches us and it begins to change our lifestyle. It says this, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The old man is dead. Now you're a new person. He said, now start acting like you realize you're a new person. Those two boys playing cowboys and Indians. And one boy come around the corner, slipped up on the other, and he tried to say, bang, bang, you're dead. And the little boy didn't go down. He said, I said, you're dead. He said, I know I'm dead. He said, well, then act like you're dead. And that's the way, that's the way we need. We need to act like we're dead to that old life. That old life is no longer controlling us anymore. All right, so you've got to put on things. I'm going to spend the rest of the message talking about things you need to put off. You've got to put off some things. Look at verses 25 through 29. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and, sin, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole, once again, he's, he's contrasting your old life, the way it's supposed to be now. Let who, him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Boy, what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Okay, let's start talking about some things we need to put off. This is the Christian walk now. You've been put on Christ. You're, you're a new person. You're supposed to put on the things of Christ and the things of the Spirit of God. Now you've got to put off some things if you're going to grow. You've got to grow, you've got to put off things, and you've got to be putting on things all the time. Now, let's look at a couple of these things that he's going to list here. These are very visible things. These are things that are very people can see, people can spot in your life. He says, take off your lying and put on the truth. That's what he said uh, right off the bat. Now, he mentions two things there. Put away lying and speak the truth. Now, it's easy to lie. Tony used to always tell us he believed everybody lies. You know, unless Tony was lying when he said that. I don't think he was. And when he said that, he said, it's very easy to lie. Well, I did some research, and some people agree with him completely. Here's what people that study this kind of, they said the average person lies about 25 times a day. Probably the first sin a child does is lying. When? As soon as they learn to talk. 
They'll do anything to, to, to deceive mom and daddy to keep from getting a spanking or getting in trouble. They'll, they're, they're real quick. How quickly we pick up on that. Lying Lying's one of the seven, two of the, two of the seven things God hates has to do with lying. Now, there's so many different ways to lie and deceive people subtly or obviously or whatever. He says, that's your old life. Put that away. And now put on truth. He doesn't just say, try to stop lying. He says, you've got to go from being a liar to speaking truth. And you can just go the rest of your life and never open your mouth and you never lie again, but are you speaking truth? That's the other part of the flip side of the coin, so to speak. Uh, speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth when it hurts. The truth will set you free. That's what the Bible says, according to Jesus. So he says, take off that and put on this. Next thing he says, deal with your anger. Look at verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, anger is one of those deadly sins also. It's one of the seven deadly sins, anger or wrath uh, from the old days. Uh, it can, anger can manifest itself in just slight irritation. There's a lot of things that can do that irritate you. You know, somebody cut you off or somebody interrupt you while you're talking or, or something can just irritate you a little bit. That's a mild form of anger. And it can go all the way up to wrath and fury to where you're ready to kill somebody. That's how angry, anger can go in a wide range there. He says, and I'll tell you this, being angry is nothing wrong with being angry, but he's going to give you the qualifications for being angry. Jesus was not singing joy to the world when he went through there ripping up the temple. He was angry because they had turned the house of God into a house, a house of prayer into a den of thieves. One day, God's going to, his anger is going to reach the top, and he's going to pour out his wrath on mankind. So anger in itself is not wrong, but he says there's a couple things about anger you don't want to do. It has to have boundaries. Don't let the sun go down. Don't just let it linger in your life. Because the more it simmers, the more it gets ingrained in you. It's like a river. A river is a wonderful thing. You can go boating on it. You can fish. You can swim. Do all these things. It's a wonderful thing. But if a river is within its banks, it's okay. But when it gets outside of its banks, like a flood, then it destroys. That's what anger, he says, if your anger is within boundaries, it's okay. But if it's not, it, it becomes sin. Second thing about anger, he says, whenever you don't let your, if you don't deal with your anger, you don't put it off and it gets the best of you, you're giving the enemy an open door into your life. And we don't want to give him any place. I've been moving some boxes out of the house over the last few weeks, and I have to get the door open and carrying the box out, and I leave the door open while I take it out where I'm taking it. My wife doesn't like that. She says there's going to be 100 lizards in the house while, I, while the door's open. But while the door's open a little bit, through anger, I guarantee you there's going to be a snake that's going to come in He's called a serpent. He's called the enemy. You've got to be careful on that. So he says, deal with that. Deal with this. Here's another thing. Don't steal anymore. Put that off, that mindset, and, start, and go to work and give. Now, apparently there were people that Paul's addressing here that didn't think stealing was a big deal. It is a big deal. It's one of the Ten Commandments for sure. 
And when he says about stealing, he doesn't say, taper off on your stealing. Don't steal as much as you used to. Now you're a Christian. No, he says, don't do it no more. Put that stuff off. And then he says, go to work. There's two reasons we go to work. One, to eat. If man doesn't work, he's not going to eat. But the other reason we work, not to make money so we can live a lavish lifestyle and have the best of everything. No, so you can give to people and give to things that have need. That's why you work. To eat, to survive, to provide for your family, and to, and to be a good steward of it so when God speaks to your heart, you can give to meet needs that are legitimate needs. So he says, work and give. Then the final thing he says, uh, put off the critical speaking. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Once again, he's telling us these different things. Let me start winding this down a little bit here. Paul's mentioning a lot of things. Why? Our lifestyle is important. You've been born again. You've been cleansed on the inside. Now it's got to manifest itself. It needs to. You're not working to get right with God. You're allowing the Spirit of God to get you right now that He's done a work in your life. And that's what growing up in the Lord is. The reason we do that is if you don't do that, if you don't grow up, if you don't let God change you, you are giving the enemy a foothold. You're giving him another opportunity to come in there and, and produce things in your life, produce a snare and so forth. The second reason our lifestyle is so important is because it's a testimony. Others are watching you, watching me, and we, we're representing the Lord. And so we've got to make sure. But here's the third reason, and I'm going to mention this as we kind of wind down. He mentions it in verse 30. I didn't even put it in my text. But he says, if you don't do this, you're grieving the Spirit of God. There's four things about the Holy Spirit that people talk about or you've heard before. There's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. There's resisting the Holy Spirit. There's quenching the Holy Spirit. And there's grieving the Holy Spirit. And they're all a little bit different. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit, Jesus said... Uh, when they were, they were talking about him, he said, you can say what you want to about the Son of Man, but anybody that blasphemes the Holy Spirit, there's no forgiveness in this life. What in the world is that? And a lot of people have asked me, have I blasphemed the Holy Ghost? I don't know. I'd hate to do that. Then I'm doomed. I personally believe what the Bible teaches, blaspheming the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is the only one that can draw you to Jesus. You don't get saved on your own. The Spirit of God convicts you. The Spirit of God draws you. And if you blaspheme and reject him you're rejecting your only way to salvation and if you're turning away the only way to salvation there's no forgiveness except through jesus and there's no way to get to jesus except the holy spirit bringing you so there's unforgiveness while you're in that condition resisting the holy spirit that was what stephen talked about when they were stoning him to death or fixing to stone him to death he was preaching to the jews and the, the religious leaders and he said you People always resist the Holy Spirit. All through our history, you've resisted the Holy Spirit and, and, and fought against everything he tried to do. There's quenching the Holy Spirit. The word quench means to like pour water on a fire. To quench the Holy Spirit means you're trying to put out 
a flame or put out a fire. That's the, that's the concept you need to have. And then there's grieving the Holy Spirit. To grieve means this, to cause to feel sorrow, pain, unhappiness, or distress. What's the difference between quenching the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit? What is this? Quenching the Holy Spirit is when you resist and don't allow God to do what he wants to do through you. He's got things he wants to do and he wants to use you and you don't, let, you don't trust him, you don't believe, you won't move, you won't obey. You're quenching him. You're pouring water on a fire, so to speak. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when you're hurting the Holy Spirit for what he's wanting to do in you. You're quenching him when he's not been able to do what he wants to do through you, and you're grieving him when he's not allowed to do on the inside what he wants to do in you. And they're similar, but they're very different. Dr. William Frey, he spent his whole life studying the dynamic of grief, grieving, crying, things like this. He said women, his studies, his lifetime studies, he said women cry about 5.3 times a month. Men cry about 1.4 times a month. Women cry on out and get it on out of their, trying to get things out of their system. That's why he believes women live a little longer than men. Men just tend to tear up a little bit and man up, but they, they cry, but it's, it's just kind of misty eyes and that kind of thing. What he's saying is if you don't let the Spirit of God change, if you're not putting things on and putting things off in your life, you're grieving and breaking the heart of the Spirit of God who's trying to shape you and mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. You're hurting Him. I watched a, a TV show one time. The girl, she's 18, 19, and her daddy told her not to go to some kind of party or dance or something. And she said, okay, but then she snuck around and went to it anyway. And he found out about it. She come home. She knew she was going to get yelled at and get fussed at. And... Uh, he said, did you do that? what you, I told you not to do? She said, yes. And she was braced for him to yell. He just kind of walked off. She said, aren't you going to yell at me? He said, no. I'm not just mad. I'm hurt. I'm disappointed that you would do that to me. And she said, I'd rather you be mad at me than for me to disappoint you and to hurt you. And that's what I'm saying we grieve the Spirit of God when we don't allow Him to change us. Me and Darlene's been making trips to the landfill about once every month or two, hauling some stuff there. <clears throat> you know what's amazing to me? You go there and they got that big place where you throw your garbage in there. If it's construction stuff, you got to go someplace else and put it and so forth. I back up the truck and throw the garbage in that big building. And it's just full of garbage. This is the Levy County Sandfield. Uh, and here's what's amazing. The, the landfill is, Levy County has about 60,000 people in it now. It used to be about 40-something. They say it's about 60,000 now. And there's people putting junk in there every day. And I think, man, where's all this stuff going? And what blows my mind is we're just a little country, country county. We don't have many people here. And look at all that garbage. 
Can you imagine where all the garbage from someplace like New York City has got about 8 million people? Where's all that going? And if you want to get really crazy, Tokyo, Japan, 37 million people. Where's that going? Just garbage day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year. Where's all the garbage going? Well, we don't think about it. I don't think about it. Out of sight, out of mind. Morning, give it another thought. But the garbage in our life, God thinks about it. And God looks at it. And God's saying, I'm trying my best to get from you the things that used to hold you down and hold you in bondage and used to destroy your life. You're trying to carry some of that stuff in here with you. You're going to have to put some things on and have to put some things off. Because I know what it'll do. We can't just cover it up, ignore it. It's garbage. It's going to destroy us, and it's a stench. One of the scriptures we read is, lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset you and run the race. You can't run a race with a bunch of weight on you. You can't run this Christian life race unless you learn how to put some things off and put some things on. Would you stand with me? you need prayer today these altars are open to you if, if God speaks to your heart about some things you've been hanging on to he says you need to turn that loose you need to do something about it I'm not going to invite everybody down here but if you want to come pray you can come pray these altars are open to you pray specifically about the things in your life that might be weighing you down it might be grieving the Spirit of God. Join me. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We're a work in progress. We're not where we need to be, but thank God we're not where we used to be. I pray, Father, that each one here realizes if we're going to grow, if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to represent you, if our life's going to be full, if the Spirit of God's going to be pleased, we've got to be very sensitive about what we're hanging on to and what we need to turn loose of. Help us, Father, to put some things on and off and truly walk uprightly before you so we can truly be pleasing in your sight. We don't want to disappoint you. We don't want to hurt you. We don't want to make a mockery of all that you're trying to do in us. Help us, Lord, to be pleasing to you. Help us to grow up in Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come back tonight here, Brother Kyle. If you need prayer, you come on down. We'll pray for you.